This season of Cancelled Movie Report is brought to you by the amazing people that support us over on our newly launched Patreon. But you know what? More about that later on. Hello and welcome to Cancelled Movie Report, the documentary podcast series that talks all about the best movies that Hollywood never made. My name is Michael Campbell. You may know me as the official host of the Village Cinemas podcast, The Cinema Crew, but I'm not alone. In fact, I refuse to do this podcast alone. And joining me, as always, one half of the award-winning Game Boys comedy duo, and now one half of the award-winning podcast, Cancelled Movie Report, actor and comedian, Mr. Eden Porter. Thank you very much for having me, Cambo. Can we claim that, do you think? A big time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I have been. (laughs) We we came second, and to us, that's just first runner-up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're back for season three. That's right. We want to thank everyone for waiting for so long. We know it's a long time between drinks here. But, you know, we've had busy life. You know, Eden, you got married. I got married. I got engaged. We yeah. both bought a house. Got Separate mate. houses, I should point out. It'd Things be weird if we brought the same yeah. one. <laughs> but that's taking the podcast to a whole new level. <laughs> we got all that out of the way so we can focus on our first love, which is obviously recreating cancelled movies. It's so good, mate. And this is where we're back to what we do best. Exactly. And since it's season three, we wanted to kick it off. We wanted to bring a very special guest. <gasps> Now, you may know him as one half of the only podcast on the internet that talks about movies, Total Reboot, or from his investigative journalism work on podcasts like Finding Drago and Finding Desperado, it's Mr. Alexi Toliopoulos. Boys, it is my pleasure to be here to discuss things that were almost movies. So officially, we still remain the only movie podcast on the internet. but yeah, I love your show, guys. I'm so glad I got to finally come on and hang out. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us. Now, here's something I want to ask. You've reviewed new movies. You've reviewed mm-hmm. classic movies. Have you ever reviewed a movie that just straight up doesn't exist? Sometimes it feels that I have. You know, there's an <laughs> era from like the early 2000s where movies just simply do not exist anymore. Yeah. Like, uh, I recently remembered the movie Cold Souls starring Paul Giamatti <laughs> existed. And that feels like it's something from another universe that's like travelled over through some kind of slipstream. It's so obscure that it may as well just be a cancelled movie. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We're talking about one that's that's often been requested on this mm. this, uh, this show. Uh, in fact, it was requested by Thomas McCoy from Scotland and Roman Johnson. They've both requested this. We're going to cover Darren Aronofsky's Batman U1. After the disaster that was Batman and Robin, that was almost the end for the Kate Crusader. And while Christopher Nolan eventually rebooted the character in a way that was handled and heralded as dark and gritty, let me tell you, it looks like a Joel Schumacher film in comparison to what filmmaker <laughs> Darren Aronofsky and comic book legend Frank Miller were cooking up before him. Oh. Now, we, we mentioned before, this is a, a pretty famous and popular cancelled movie. I'm curious, Alexi... You were aware of this project anyway, right? Yeah, I think I remember it being so much a part of like my early online curiosities into like cinema and like community boards and chat rooms and stuff. Just reading a little bit about this movie and just seeing it come through just I guess it was just before the Nolan one, right? Like it was it basically was. the project that died to make that one live. And I remember just being infinitely curious about it. And ever since like the Nolan one came out, it living so much in the back of my brain as just like a what if. Because <laughs> to me, it was so strange. There were so many risks involved and so much involved in 
Aronofsky weirdly trying to go so far away from any kind of semblance of the character that we'd seen before in film or even in the comics. It just seemed like such a weird, unique take on the character (laughs) that in retrospect makes absolutely no freaking sense whatsoever to have ever gotten as close (laughs) to becoming a movie as it did. Well, okay, so here's the interesting thing. Well, first I want to ask both of you, uh, are we Aronofsky fans? Oh, God. Okay. I'm very up and down. Like, I love Black Swan, and I love, like, a few of that era of movies, but I would say Mother is famously my least favorite movie of the decade. I fucking despised it. (laughs) I hated it. I had to review it for the ABC, and it was the first, like, truly, like, negative review I ever had to do, like, so publicly. Yeah. Where I I, I just... And especially I liked Aronofsky, and I was... I was not prepared to, like, slam a fucking movie on TV. I was getting freaked out. And one of, like, my fellow panelists was telling me that they just reviewed another movie negatively, and the director emailed them. So I'm getting in my head so much, I'm about to slam this guy that I've previously quite liked. My nose started bleeding with stress, and I had to, like, go fix myself up before we started filming, come back, and I'm like, oh, my God, okay, fine, I'm good now. And I just, like, kept the tissues nearby me. And I thought they were just shooting me like in a close-up or a mid-shot. And then when it came to air, it was wide. And I could see this pile of bloody (laughs) tissues sitting on my lap during the whole review. And I was like, what is going on? This is a fucking horror movie in itself. (laughs) So... Okay, Aronofsky brings some stress wow. to you. Okay, well you, yes. can, you can relax today. It's like, take it take it easy. Just yeah. keep the tissues mm-hmm. nearby in fact, that. Let's yeah. call out to all our listeners. No one tell Aronofsky we did this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do not pass it on. I might flick the camera off at a certain point if something weird goes down, if I have a bodily function go wrong. Uh, what about you, Eden? Are you an Aronofsky yeah, fan? B- yeah, big time. Yeah, I, 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 yeah look, I, I, I agree. Mother was not a great film. Um, but wow. you've got well, to look you're at, off to a swing start to our friendship if we can agree Mother sucks shit. <laughs> but the back catalogue, you've, you've got some big films mm-hmm. there. Aronofsky has... Everyone also forgets Noah, I feel, is also a bit of a mm. bit of a rough patch in Aronofsky's I'm not familiar. I've actually blanked that out of my uh, memory banks. <laughs> mm. Another movie that doesn't exist is Aronofsky's like $100 million biblical epic. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, I would say, we're in peak Aronofsky territory at this mm. time. So mm. I'm going to give you a little bit of context about this project. Awesome. This is we're living in a post Batman and Robin world at this time. Uh, that was '97. This is the very beginning of the year 2000. Okay. So <gasps> wow, at this the point, new millennium. Ar- yeah. Exactly. Aronofsky has done Pi, and he's either just about to or has just completed Requiem for a Dream. That's the era yeah. of Aronofsky yeah. we're talking. Holy shit! That so, early. I always imagined this was a bit after the Fountain or something. So the year, yeah, 2000, and the way that this project started isn't with Aronofsky. It's actually with Joel Schumacher. So after right. Batman oh. and Robin comes out, obviously he knows what he did. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, made a huge mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he wanted to kind of reclaim a bit of credibility. And he actually pitched to them, okay, we've gone too far in one way. Let's go back the other way. And, and I want to do an adaption of Year One, the famous Frank Miller comic book. And Warner Brothers said, great idea. Not with you. (laughs) (laughs) So there's two essential sources that we're going to be using for for this podcast. The first is the book itself, Batman Year One by Frank Miller. 
Released in the late 80s. A gorgeous reveal, mm. by the way, to lift it up at the exact moment you mentioned it. Beautiful <laughs> yes. to hold the book. For for those that are only listening, it's the deluxe hardcover. Ooh. What a flex. Oh, <laughs> it's getting hot in here. It's getting hot in here. Often seen as like the quintessential <laughs> jumping on Batman origin thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other point of reference that we use a fair bit on this show is the book Tales from Development Hell by David Hughes. Yeah. Uh, has an entire chapter about the many cancelled Batman projects. This one cancels very heavily. So there's going to be a couple of quotes throughout the episode, all pulled from uh, this book. We, love we, we this. like to give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. We cite our sources here on this show. <laughs> We're so lost in this timeline, Eden and I, yeah. in the early 2000s, of so many different DC <laughs> projects we talk about are all roughly at the same time. Because yeah. we so, had the Justice mm-hmm. League, yes. the yeah, George Miller yeah. one there. Yep. So you help put in context, this is just even before... Batman vs Superman Asylum, which we've covered oh really? On this, this is before that. Wow! Everyone, this, yeah, no one could get anything off the ground. No, this is truly an era of them going. <laughs> what about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the tone, dark, gritty, and real is is how they were pitching it. And Darren Aronofsky was kind of a hot shot in Hollywood, and as is often the case, you get a young hot shot director, you offer them a chance to to come into the studio system and and produce mm. a big budget thing. It's exactly what happened with Nolan. Yeah. Just several years later. He he was this was hot off pie at the time. God, that's me at all times hot off pie at every <laughs> point in my life. So interestingly enough, Frank Miller, the writer of the comic book, he came on board to write the script for this because he and Aronofsky had a previous relationship. Because Aronofsky, after Pie, tried to do an adaption of the Frank Miller Ronin comic book. Oh. So they already oh. knew each other. So he had got this job. He was like, I literally know the dude that did this. And he brought Frank Miller on to adapt his own comic. Here's what you're thinking, right? You've got the writer of the comic book coming in to write the script of it. There's no way they could mess this up unless they did something like, I don't know, completely toss out everything you know about the character and make huge changes, right? Yeah, yeah. As long as they don't do that, I think it'll get off the ground. Yeah. I've got a feeling you might reveal something. I don't know what, but something. Here is a quote from Darren (laughs) Aronofsky about the project. Okay. He said, it's somewhat based on the comic book, but toss out everything you can imagine about Batman. Everything. <laughs> We're starting completely anew. Oh, uh, yeah. It's sort yeah. of like it, but actually, fuck you. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. So shut up, okay? It's so- new. It's my idea. And it's in a freaking mechanic shop, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so we get down to some casting. Yeah. Good. Oh, this is all. I lo- always love some good stunt casting. Oh, wow. It has been reported, and I, I find very little concrete evidence of this, but mm. you're going to hear rumours of all the time that Christian Bale was still being considered at this time. I, did, I have heard that. Yep. Mm. Now, yeah. there, there was two choices, that one that Aronofsky wanted and one that the studio wanted. Okay. The studio apparently very big on Freddie Prince Jr., to play Batman. Oh, what? <laughs> okay, I mean, he's got the bod. The guy it, could do the body. Is this, is this, pr- this is pre-Scooby-Doo. This would be very close to Scooby. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he would have to wear the same costume as how close it is. Either way, he'd be doing detective work. Yeah, but th- this is true. <laughs> the world's greatest detective in both, yeah, both yeah. categories. Yeah, good. That was the studio's choice. But the Aronofsky choice that he was really, really gunning for to play Batman was Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, really? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, yes. man. Because oh, Gladiator is 2000. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, yeah, was yeah. Been just before Gladiator. He'd seen the movie Quills, which was a uh, was a very oh, early... Yeah. Wasn't Jeffrey Rush in that? Yes, yeah. As well, um, yeah. And he plays oh, a very God, bleep the name, bleep the name. Oh, oh, yeah. So that was what he was really pushing for. 
There was also, you need to consider this movie not necessarily even a Batman movie. It's a Batman and a Gordon movie. Much like the comics. There's yeah. literally parallel stories. Mm. And Gordon is equally, if not slightly more, the main character in this story. They needed to cast a Gordon as well. And the, the rumor at the time was that uh, Batman alum Aaron Eckhart was their first choice for Commissioner oh, Gordon. Oh, wow. Cool. Because Gordon in this, very young. You often see him as oh, an older gentleman. He's up, it's year one, mate. He's, it's, he's coming it's out. Yeah. He's, he's like in his 30s in this script. Like yep. He's very, very young. Probably the youngest that we will have seen on screen if, if this had to come to pass. And Aaron Eckhart in the 2000s, bit of a hunk. Yeah, yeah, a hunk you, of spunk. You're yeah. getting sexy commish. Yeah, yeah, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's, a, here's another quote. This is from, uh, from the Tales from Development Hell. They're talking about the tone. And everything they talk about the tone for the time seems radical, but in today's context, one has either now been done or two, kind of, you can see what they were going for, which was they wanted to obviously move away from the camp aspect. Yep. Bang, 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 pow, wow. Yeah. yeah, All All the neon. Yeah. And all the the puns, the puns. (laughs) And the, uh, I believe the the bat credit card. Was that going to make an appearance Imagine if the only thing they kept was the puns. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The puns and the credit card. We just have a close up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, branded after my stuff. You know, it's for my Just Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix going to purchase some uh, fuel for the Batmobile with his credit card. Yeah. Good. (laughs) Their, Their pitch was, and imagine this if you could. A movie set in the Batman universe that was very inspired by gritty crime films of the 1970s. Oh, okay. So, essentially what they were pitching is it's, Joker. Yeah. So, yeah. Joker is a love letter to Scorsese. They they didn't uh, quote Scorsese necessarily, but they have some films that they were saying that they were inspired for. Can I guess some? Absolutely. Yeah. I reckon French Connection would have to be like up there for sure. Every everything with like yeah, seventies is always French Connection. Bang on, Serpico. We're talking Serpico. Bang on. Oh, far out. And then I don't know what else, like Bullet or some shit. I think that's a little bit earlier than seventies, but I can L- imagine. Let me that. let me read the quote. This is uh, it says the Batman franchise has just gone more and more back towards the TV show, and it's become tongue in cheek, a grand farce and camp. Said Aronofsky. I pitched the complete opposite which was tonally bring it back to the streets, raw, try and sell it in a kind of real reality. No stages, no sets, shooting it all in inner cities across America, creating a very real feeling. My pitch was Death Wish or The French Connection meets Batman. Wow. Yeah. In, in year one, so he, he likened the two main characters to very famous uh, 70s cinema icons. He said, Gordon, he was Serpico. Yeah. That's how mm-hmm. we would base it. And Batman, he was Travis Bickle. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, <laughs> so this is this is crazy because when you think about how weird the like uh, things cyclically coming back around, the yeah. fact that you had Joaquin Phoenix on the bubble yeah. for being cast as Batman, and all these years later you have him coming back to play the Joker, the Joker. in a similar sort of essentially gritty, the same like, movie. It's, yeah. yeah, oh, that's yeah. amazing. God, I hope Freddie Prince Jr. turns up in Joker Two as Batman now. <laughs> Go full full circle. That would be the only way to complete the circle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Travis Bickle uh, inspired Batman, so they were taking some taxi driver Big cues. Time. And you, you were probably thinking Batman doesn't necessarily suit a Travis Bickle, what with his extravagant wealth and whatnot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Once we get into the story, which we're about to, it'll start making a lot more sense why they were inspired by Travis Bickle for this character. All I'm thinking now is just. <laughs> Are you are you talking to me in like Batman voice? <laughs> <laughs> that's all I've that's all I've got in my head now. <laughs> so we've got a tone now. They, they were going for a small scale seventies crime movie with this. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, there is another quote from Aronofsky, and this is how he claims he got Warner Brothers' attention. I just wanted to add it here at the end because I know a lot of coverage of this will probably bring this up. Apparently, he said, this was how I got their attention, even though I had no actual um, like inclination to do it. When they said, how would you do a Batman movie? He said, I would cast Clint Eastwood as Batman and I would film it all in Tokyo for Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cool. <laughs> and apparently, that, that so that gave him the foot in the door, and they yeah. were like, "We love this this guy." Yeah, that's great. that's how yeah. he, apparently he got their attention by being so different. But we know the tone, we know the cast. Mm. Let's get into the story. Let's do it, mate. Batman. You want? Whoa, 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 whoa! Just before we get into the movie, I just wanted to let you know that we've recently launched a Patreon. So you know what? If you love the show and you want to support what we do. It really is the best way to do it. There's a whole bunch of cool behind-the-scenes content on there. And we've even launched a unique podcast exclusive to Patreon. It's called Casting Calls. And we talk about famous actors that almost landed iconic roles. And in classic Cancel Movie Report fashion, we make it real. There's a link in the episode notes. And you know what? We'd love to have you. But now, let's get into the film. The film begins with images of a big storm in Gotham. Police helicopters are roaring, there's chaos everywhere. Suddenly, we cut to Bruce Wayne and he wakes up in bed screaming. It was all a dream. He was dreaming of this Gotham that's a nightmare. And we also notice something. This isn't the Wayne Manor that we're used to. Bruce is in a tiny shoebox apartment here. We then cut to a character called Little Al. And Little Al is described in the script as a gigantic, early middle-aged black man. He's carrying a bag of donuts and two coffees. And he stops and he inserts his key into the grimy storefront of a, of a shop called Allen Sons Repair, Service and Salvage. So it's a, it's a car shop. Yep. We see, uh, we see a, a clean auto repair shop. Little Al continues his search through the junkyard behind uh, Al's garage. And its sole occupant, Bruce Wayne. So... He's loading car parts onto a flatbed truck bearing the Allen Sons logo. So at this point, Bruce Wayne is working at a car repair shop. He's the everyman. The two head up a, a wooden staircase over, over the garage and they enter Bruce Wayne's tiny shoebox apartment. And it's described as a claustrophobic room of an obsessive compulsive. Neatly organized electronic hobby projects line the walls. Police scanners, radios and TVs. And their readouts and displays provide the only light in the room. Al goes through their work assignments for the day. And as he does, he notices that Bruce looks terrible. It's here that we learn that Bruce has been having these nightmares and he's been on medication to try and help. So little Al leaves this tiny apartment and Bruce, he closes the blackout curtains. But as he does, as he's closing them, his gaze lingers across the street to a girls galore peep show theater across the street. Oh my God. And from the look of it, <laughs> The sleazy sex venue was once a big grand theatre. But for now, on, on top of its classic old world facade is a pink plastic sign that promotes girls, girls, girls. <laughs> we see Chi-Chi, a young pimp. He's ordering girls around. And inside the cat house, a long slender black woman, Selena. She's putting handcuffs on a skinny man. She wears a tight-fitting black leather outfit. Selena notices Bruce looking at her from his window. She gives him a playful wave. He just closes the curtains, leaving us alone in his apartment. So this is this is the setup <laughs> for Batman Year One. Already, um, are we noticing any changes? Yeah, well, I think first off, mm-hmm. it's thrown out <laughs> everything I knew about Batman. <laughs> yeah. 
I can so understand a studio going, okay, well, you know, our biggest toy maker movie, we need to like revamp it, get new people excited. And they get this guy in and they start reading the script and immediately it's like, yeah, shitty apartment. He's loading crap into a truck. Then he's looking at a porno theater across the road. <laughs> and like, fuck, fuck, fuck. How do we make this a normal movie? Um, get Freddie Prince Jr. on the line. We're going to get Freddie Prince in here. <laughs> Yeah, so already we've done away with Wayne Manor. He does mm. not live in Wayne Manor. Mm. He lives in a tiny shoebox apartment and he works in a car garage. Yeah. That's the Bruce Wayne God. of this movie. This movie's so rude, it barely even has Wayne Manors, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and we've already seen pimps and prostitutes Great. across the street. Yeah. This, this, is, this is the aesthetic they're going for. Now, uh, Batman slash Bruce Wayne they, has an ongoing monologue throughout this movie. And what I've decided to do, Eden, I'm, I'm going to do a bit here. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Here, oh, here we go. <laughs> I've got this bell, right? Oh, great. Okay? Mm. Just like that. Now, if you hear anything that sounds like perhaps it's been repurposed into a, another <laughs> Batman movie, I want you to just ring the bell. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to leave that with you. Any yeah. other Batman movie? Any other Batman okay. movie. Because I do think that even though this is a wild take, a lot of it was repurposed Repurposed, yep. into other movies. Okay. I'm warming of up my, my favorite my- Batman movie, Batman versus the Pimps and Hoes. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to explain Batman's monologues uh, or his voiceovers because... They're done in the context of diary entries, but also these diary entries are letters to his dead father. Oh, <laughs> so wow. Oh, man. Throughout the movie, deep. his voiceover oh, is actually Lord. him writing to his dead father to, to tell him all, what he's going through and how he's feeling. So I'm going to play you the first one in the movie and to get a sense of what these voiceovers are like. September 4th. Dear father, I'm still confused. What are you trying to tell me? What do you want from me? Please. I don't understand. Your son, Bruce. Oh, you're ringing the bell, Dean. <laughs> Mate, the bell is being rung. The bell is being rung. Does that sound kind of familiar? So familiar. What does it sound like? That's the, the Batman. The Batman. That's yes. the Batman. <laughs> this is straight out of our most recent Batman. Yes. The- it's all about him. Yeah, he's talking. He's trying to communicate. He's got his little diary yep. entries and everything like that. Yep. Even so- even the time periods, this is happening around October, as was the Batman. What the they, frick? They've taken these diary entries. The Batman's recontextualized it a little bit. Yeah. He's writing to remember because he, he said he's having trouble Rather than mm. to his father, but the entry style almost identical. Yeah, because remember he yeah he sits down after he goes to the club and he's rewatching yes. everything through yeah. his eyes and he's got all these journals and everything like that. So yeah, they love they love a good little uh, voiceover. Is it like literally word for word? Because it feels so on the money. It isn't word for word, but boy, it's similar. So this is the Batman we're getting. He's conflicted. He doesn't know what's going on, and he needs help from his father. Yeah, but his father's dead, Cambo. His father's dead. So we now cut to the apartment of James Gordon and he's sitting in his bathroom at night. Thunder rolls in the night air and in the sweaty palms of James Gordon rests six bullets. Gordon sits in his boxes on the toilet and in his mouth he holds a service revolver. Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) He can hear his wife in the other room and she's saying, Honey, come to bed. Gordon looks up at the door. He puts the gun with its wet barrel back into his holster and the badge clipped onto the side and he leaves the bathroom. But this is how we meet Commissioner Gordon. Oh my God. Sitting in his boxes on the toilet with a gun in his mouth, contemplating suicide. 
This is you want it dark and gritty. I kind of hope this is how we meet every one of our beloved characters in this universe. It's just immediately them and trying to commit some kind of suicide. Yeah, it's just the penguin with a noose around his head and so. So yes, uh, it's it's fair to say Gordon not in a good spot in this in this. No, it doesn't seem like it. We cut to the police precinct in the squad room in the morning, and Gordon he gets off the elevator and he's walking through the busy precinct, and it's a room full of cops, and as he passes. Conversations stop, and men with shoulder holsters and badges on their hips, they watch Gordon with obvious disdain. So clearly he is the odd man out here. We catch quick glimpses of two detectives stuffing yellow envelopes with stacks of bills. This place is clearly a breeding ground for corruption, and they're taking payments and money left, right, and center. We also learn that Jim, he wants no part of this. He's an honest cop. Yeah, well, he's the only honest cop. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna <laughs> again. We're gonna look at Batman there. Uh-huh. The entire Gotham Police Department—they're all on the take and everything yeah. like that. But, but Jim Gordon, yes, he's the sole, he's the sole honest cop in there. I will say that is true of the Batman, also true yeah. of the comic. Yeah. So, the Batman did obviously take it, but that's a very Gordon trait to be. He's the only always the straight cop shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, this is where we're starting to get real Serpico vibes with Gordon. Wow. The whole yeah, place is corrupt. Shit. He's the only one that's not. God, I pray freaking Gordon's wearing a poncho and a little bucket cap like <laughs> the whole movie. Oh my God, I'll freaking die if that's what we get. He's got a giant dog following around for some reason. <laughs> so we is this here that we meet uh, Detective Flass. And Detective Flass, mm. he's very, very corrupt and he's a huge hulking guy. And we also meet his, his partner, Detective Campbell. So th- these are two cops that are always antagonizing Gordon. And they-, they try to actually get him to take some of this bribe money. Gordon wants no nothing way. to do with it. We cut back now to the Girls Galore Peep Show Theater that night. Bruce is walking home and he's carrying a paper bag with groceries in his arms. And we see Chi-Chi, the pimp from earlier. He's meeting with Detective Flass and Campbell. Hey there, Chi-Chi. And they sit behind a wheel of an unmarked cop car. Chi-Chi is passing them one of the yellow envelopes that we saw earlier. Got something for us, Greaseball. And... He's passing through the window of the car. Flass, he flips through the bills and he tells Chi-Chi he's a little short this month. And Campbell says that... You know, maybe you're Selena over there as you can make up the difference, huh? Oh. So, again, this is... Oh, ooh, it's, 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 it's yucky, isn't it? This it's feels so yucky. Yeah. yucky. And the fact that Bruce has to carry his own groceries as well. Where the hell's Alfred, man? I know. Where's Alfred? What's he doing? So... Selena, she refuses. She's like, I'm not having any part of this. And Chi-Chi, he grabs her by the arm when she tries to walk off. But suddenly Chi-Chi's aware that Bruce is standing very close to him and he's glowering at the pimp. And in the script, it describes it as pure, unholy hatred in his eyes. Chi-Chi flicks open a switchblade and he backhands Selena across the mouth. Bruce, he's oblivious to this knife and he's moving to take out Chi-Chi, but Selena, she catches his eyes and without saying a word, she says... It's not worth it. So she watches Bruce as he marches back into his garage and he kicks open the door of his apartment and he flings his grocery over and he punches the plaster wall. So this is a man struggling with his anger issues here. Oh, my God. (laughs) Chill out, brother. How are we feeling about this very aesthetic, very grimy setting? Mate, it's. I tell you what. When they said that it's going to be dark and gritty, what? How how far are we in? Like fifteen minutes? Yeah, we're not very far in. Yeah, yeah we've also we've had cops on the take, yep. prostitutes, pimps, stabbings, punching walls. Like they're going down a dark hole. Yes, a, a lot of this uh, inspired by the comic. Selena in the comic, she was a prostitute. Yep. 
we should talk maybe a little bit about Frank Miller's treatment of female characters, which is historically yes. not great. It's not good. They're, they're yeah. all the damsels. guy's a creep. I mean, at least yeah. on paper, the way he writes, the guy's a creep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, women they're either damsels or prostitutes in a Frank Miller story. So yeah, uh, that's true. Unfortunately, Selena's been made into a prostitute. So little Al, he sees Brute storm into his apartment, and he he goes up to Brute and he says, "Come to my office." Little Al, he's sitting behind a desk and he starts opening little, like, drawers in his desk. And he finds what he's been looking for. It's a small wooden box. He turns to Bruce and he tells the story of how Big Al, so this is Little Al, remember? Big Al, his father, he found Bruce in a junkyard when he was just a boy. And he raised him as his own. He tells Bruce that all he had was a single object. And he hands Bruce the box and he calls it his inheritance. He says, take your inheritance, it's time. Bruce... He's now sitting in his apartment and he's looking at this wooden box. And as he does, we hear him writing another letter to his father. September 22nd. Dear father, I almost slipped today. God help me if I lose control. Little Al gave me back my inheritance. What should I do with it? Please tell me. I don't know how much longer I can go without your help. Please send instructions. Your loving son, Bruce. So we can tell that whatever is in this box, which we don't know what it is yet, it's weighing heavy on him. There's something in that box that that is part of his past and it's weighing heavy on him. But also found in a junkyard. Yeah, where did they pull that? Where did they pull that from? I don't know. I don't know. Like that's so random. What, what do we think of completely undoing the Batman mythos of the billionaire playboy? This is so weird so far, like, because everything's so grounded and, like, gritty, realistic, like a 70s crime movie, yet then, like, the idea that, oh, yeah, we found this baby in the junkyard and just raised him ourselves, that feels like the fantasy, and that feels fucking so strange, like, from a fairy tale movie or something. Yeah. Well, it's weird that that's such a big part of Bruce is like he's he's got everything in the world given to him, so that's it's it's more interesting when he then decides to become the Batman and fight crime because it's like, well, man, you're in your little ivory tower. You don't need to do that. Yeah, they have taken everything away from Bruce in this movie. He was found in the junkyard. He lives in a shoebox apartment, and he's a mechanic. But Cambo, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> well, we see Bruce, he's written this letter. He signs the letter. He stamps it. And then he puts it into a large collection of unsent letters. So he's been doing this for a while. We see okay. there's a big collection of letters to his father. He's clearly been writing these letters for quite a while. We now see a flashback. And guess what? We get to see the murder of the Waynes again. Oh, good. Because <laughs> I, I haven't seen that enough, you yeah. know? I've seen mm. too many intact pearl <laughs> necklaces that I need shattered. Um, so it'd be great to really relive this moment. <laughs> well, honestly, I'm not even really going to dwell on it because it's exactly everything you described is in the script. The pearl necklace, is, yeah. the, the gunshot, the, all of that is there. But what's most important to note about this flashback where we see the murder of the Waynes is obviously they're leaving, leaving the movie theater and they've just seen Zorro. Yeah. Right? That's the Always movie Zorro, they've just yeah. seen. Zorro makes a lot of sense, influenced Batman in a big mm. way, but it's also notable because Zorro is going to be a motif in, in this film. So they've just seen the movie Zorro. But the most important key bit of information is, uh, you know, they're leaving. Bruce is pretending to have a sword fight like Zorro. And we see the events, the pearls and the guns and everything. And then we see that movie theater that they exit and it morphs to modern day. It becomes... It's the Girls, 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 Peep Show Theater. 
This is why Bruce is obsessed with this theatre, why he's living so close to it, why he's watching it all the time. It's the theatre in which his parents were murdered outside of. Oh, mate, because you want to stay close to that. You want to relive that every day of your life. Well, clearly he's not coping well. (laughs) Whatever system he has in place for trauma isn't working. But you know what? I can can really, just as a visual, I can really imagine that that scene playing out and then it goes to the front of the theatre and then it does the ageing, the neon sign appears. I can actually see that really clearly. Yeah, it's cool. And it's such like a messed up Batman psyche thing to just be like, yeah, I am, I guess, kind of turned on by the idea of my parents' death as well. <laughs> so as, as this transforms back into the Girls, Girls, Girls Theatre, we actually we kind of come down from that and we see that Detective Campbell, who we saw before taking a bribe, he's, he's kind of a fat, slobby detective. He's staggering around the streets and he's drunk and he's throwing things up to Selena's hey, window. Selena. He's trying to get her attention. Because, you know, he wanted a bit of that yeah, yeah, to make up yeah, the difference. Yeah, yeah. She tells him, yeah, nice. You picked a bad night to mess with me, Campbell. He doesn't take any of this. And we see him, he he stumbles inside the inside the theatre, and inside, they call it the cat house. And moments later, we see Bruce still dressed in his mechanic uniform here. He crosses the street after Campbell. We hear bang, bang, bang as Campbell's, like, banging on Selena's door to let her in. She's saying, no, go away. He kicks the door in. And then suddenly there's a tussle between him and Selena. Like, he's really kind of going... This is getting quite violent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Suddenly, Bruce appears in the room. He delivers a big uppercut to, uh, to, to Campbell to try and get him off. Suddenly, Selena picks up a cricket bat. And crack! She hits Bruce. Suddenly, Bruce he staggers and things are starting to go dark. And we hear Selena say, Sorry about that, but he's mine. Bruce slowly comes around. Selena's gone. Campbell... He lies smashed on the floor in a puddle of blood. We, he's, he's dead. Completely he's dead? dead? Completely dead. We also see red flashing lights from the street and we hear footsteps in the hall and voices. We hear Gordon and Flass down the hallway. The cops are there. This isn't good. Bruce makes a desperate play and he actually throws himself out the window and he's hanging from like his fingertips outside the window as we hear Gordon and Flass start to come into the crime scene. <sighs> Who called it? This guy named Chi-Chi claims he's the property manager. More like a pimp. Flass enters. What the hell are you doing here? It's my collar. Like hell it is. Get out of my way. Gordon stands in the doorway. He doesn't move. Jimmy boy, I ain't getting around now. Okay, okay. Have it your way. Yeah, that's what I thought. Flass sees the body of his dead partner on the ground. Oh, Christ. I thought you said there were two bodies. Well, I mean, that's what this guy Chi-Chi said. And it's what it looked like about three minutes ago. Girl lives here, goes by the name Mistress Selena. 21, 5'9", 120 pounds. Uh, she works in an S&M dungeon, uh, obviously. She hasn't turned up yet. Flask casually looks around the crime scene, picks up a pair of handcuffs. <sighs> you don't seem all that broken up. This is your partner, right? Flass angrily throws the handcuffs into a closet door. This kind of shit happens every day. I've learned to grieve in my own way, Jimmy boy. And what exactly does that mean? It means I'm gonna find her and put her in a box. <sighs> it's that simple, huh? Yep. Come on. There's more going on here. She didn't do this alone. What was it? 
Campbell wanted his graft and trade? That pimp get tired of paying you guys off? You, get out. Yes, sir. Listen, Boy Scout, you need to think long and hard about what you say and do on the job. You're in way over your head. Keep it up, and somebody's gonna get hurt. Okay, so this is our first impression of Detective Gordon. Described in the script consistently, smoking Marlboro cigarettes. It makes a point every time. Really? Gordon lights his Marlboro. Like, yeah. uh, but he is, uh, he's, he's over it, isn't he? He's, he's at the end of his rope. He knows what's going on here. He knows Campbell's coming here for no good reasons. He knows Flass is getting paid off. But there's nothing he can do about it. Interesting note. Can I just go back to the weapon used in the assault? A oh, cricket I'm so bat. glad you brought it up. I'm <laughs> so glad bat. you brought it up. Where is it? Where are they pulling that from? Not a baseball bat. No, a cricket bat. Cricket bat. Is she meant? Is she meant to be English or anything like that? Or where is this from? Well, funnily enough, Selena. The rumor for casting for Selena, and again, this is similar to Christian Bale, where people say this a lot. There's very little concrete evidence to support it. Apparently, they were looking at Halle Berry, who then did go on Good to, to play, play Catwoman, Catwoman, albeit not Selena Kyle, but Catwoman. Uh, so it seems like they're going for an American, but yeah, cricket bat. Cricket bat. God, this would be awesome if just he go, actually, and then everything else, this is set in London. <laughs> yeah, 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 at the end, that, it pans why. out and there's Big Ben. I, I didn't I didn't explain, but Gordon walks into the crime scene and he's swinging his little baton. He goes, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> What's all this then, eh? Now, that's a good twist. That's a good twist. During this scene, Bruce was hanging by his fingernails on the thing and actually says when uh, Flassie throws the cuffs against the cupboard door and there's a bit of a smash he lets go at that point and he gets under the street and they don't hear him drop yep. he, he covers his hand and he scurries off back but um, he, he doesn't know what happened here he, he's like what happened I passed out why is this guy Someone dead did, what's yeah. going he's very confused about it but we cut back to Gordon at home with his wife as they watch the news and they, they speak of a crime wave happening in Gotham but they also tease a story about the missing heir to Thomas Wayne's fortune. Oh, oh they just dropped that in, do they? Okay, and yeah. if they will return before the 15-year deadline. <laughs> this idea that Thomas Wayne's heir mm -hmm. is missing. No one knows where he is. I suspect it's a little out. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it seems like such like a happy Madison comedy thing to be like, yeah, there's a dead millionaire. And guess what? There's a deadline to find out who the son is before the money just goes to whoever the hell the most evil guy in the town is. I believe, isn't that just the plot of Mr. Deeds? Deeds, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Real Mr. Deeds vibes going on here. So uh, we cut to outside Commissioner Loeb's office. Now, Commissioner Loeb is, is quite a, a key figure in this story. He... Because obviously, traditionally, Gordon is the commissioner. Yeah, Commissioner Gordon. Since yeah. this is Olan, he's just a detective. The current commissioner is Commissioner Loeb. And he's sitting in the waiting room. And we hear loud, muffled voices arguing in Loeb's office. The door opens and Gotham's young assistant district attorney, Harvey Dent, he stands outside the office and he's yelling back into the office. He says, You can't protect him forever. Estrada will go down and you'll go down with him. And he storms off. So, Mate, Harvey Dent's here. Harvey, Harvey, Harvey Dent is here. here. This is good. Hold on to your acid. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and we also Let's know see what happens. Harvey Dent, he's, he's on to Loeb. He, obviously, yeah, yeah, Harvey he Dent's knows. looking into him. Loeb's no good. And someone called Estrada is no good. So we cut to inside Loeb's office now. And Gordon, he asks for a transfer out of Gotham. And Loeb tells him that he's not going anywhere. And people like him and that district attorney Dent, they better learn how things really work in this town. 
So it goes all the way top. Like no one in the police force is good in Gordon. I would imagine, imagine if he wanted to put in a transfer for Metropolis. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> then you start crossing lines. Yeah, that'd be great. But uh, I can't think of a single person that might be able to help Gordon here become, you know, uh, to rid the, the Gotham of crime. Yeah, he needs, I can't so, think of a he needs, person. He needs a partner. He needs a partner. We cut back to Gordon's apartment. And what's Gordon's favorite pastime? Uh, putting guns in mouths? Correct. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's sitting there with another gun in his mouth. But this time, he's actually loaded a bullet into the gun. Last oh, time he had it in his head, he, yeah, yeah, he's okay. got a bullet and he's pulling the hammer back. Oh, oh okay. He's very close to killing That's, himself yeah. right very now. Close. You can imagine the gun shaking. Yeah, but we yeah. hear the front door open in the distance and the sound of Anne, his wife. She comes to the, the bathroom door and we hear her tell him. Jim, Jim, it's a boy. <gasps> She's pregnant. Oh, And they God. now know that it's a boy. Gordon takes the gun out of his mouth and he hides it again. Wow. Can't wait till he buys his little son his first <laughs> tiny little handgun. <laughs> it's funny that Commissioner Gordon is known for having one child that is a girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> and Barbara. They're, they're, they've changed yeah. that as well. It's it's a boy in this. Yeah, he has a, he has a son in um in the Nolanverse. Yes, yeah, and, as well. and uh, yeah. in the comics his wife is also pregnant with a boy. So that, yeah. that is yeah, that's, directly yeah. from the comics. Uh, and okay, so we're now sitting. The next scene it takes place in parallel. So the first is Batman. He's sitting in his apartment, and he's looking at his inheritance, his box, and he's overcome with guilt about what happened with Campbell. He doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know who killed Campbell. He doesn't remember anything, and he's writing to his father. October third, dear father, it's only getting worse. It's tearing me apart. I'm afraid it's happening. I've let it out. Father, I've let you down. I may have killed a man last night. I may be a murderer. No better than he was. A monster. So we see now he really doesn't know what's happened there in that apartment and it's really weighing heavily on him and he's staring at his inheritance in this scene. So that's happening. It's happening in parallel. It's cutting between these two scenes. The next scene, we're at the Dutton Heights housing project. And then we see uniformed police officers. They're holding back curious residents because there's a gunman. And he's yelling unintelligently uh, at, the, at the roof from the projects. And we see Gordon arrive on the scene. And parked at the center of the police encampment is a SWAT van. So they're ready to go in and absolutely take this guy out. And inside... A half dozen men, they're strapping on body armor and they're checking their machine guns and we see news vans approaching and it's becoming a big hostage scene yeah. with this gunman on the roof. And Gordon arrives and he goes and he talks to uh, Commissioner Lowe. Ah, the cowboy. Came to see how real policemen are in their pay. Where's the negotiator? He's working a jumper on the Herzog Bridge. We don't have time to wait. Time is money. Taxpayer. More like voters' money. That's it, isn't it? You're here for the TV camera. Oh my god, he's got a baby! Gordon looks up. The gunman is holding a little baby. Loeb's snipers have taken their position. The gunman is spinning around with a child in his arms. He's yelling at the lightning. The snipers line up their shots. Loeb picks up his radio. Take your shots. Uh, sir, there is a baby in the way. It's a tough shot. Just do your job, shoot it! The gunman waves his 9mm over the edge of the roof. The TV cameras zoom in on the gunman. Gordon steps out from behind the police barricade, heads towards the building. 
Gordon, get your ass back here now. Gordon holds up his revolver with two fingers on its barrel. Hey, hey you, I'm coming up. He drops the weapon and enters the building. Gordon creaks up the stairs and approaches a door that says roof. He eases it open. The scruffy gunman yells up at the TV news helicopters. Gordon steps out onto the roof, hands up in front of him. The gunman's 9mm is pressed into the little boy's mouth. He holds the child against his chest. Hi, my name is Jim. Loudmouth. Oh, Lemon, TV news cameras circle overhead, capturing the whole scene. Gordon points to the sky. Uh, bad. Helicopters. Gordon slides closer to the gunman. Where's your medication? have to trust your doctors. Trust in the system. Everything will be fine. Just follow the program. I'll change it. The gunman jams the 9mm further into the child's mouth. He's about to pull the trigger. The hammer starts to go back. Gordon acts without thinking. He throws a right cross, dropping the gun, knocking away the 9mm just as... It misses the child. Well, well, well. <laughs> and then, How do we feel about that scene? And then Gordon says, hey, putting guns in mouths, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Bang. This is so crazy because, like, I just saw the Batman last week and I was shocked to see, like, there were heaps of little kids in the audience, like, just parents bringing kids under yeah. five. Imagine being in the cinema and parents like, oh, Batman, my kid loves Batman TV show, the animated series. Let's come see the new one. And then they see a freaking lunatic holding a revolver to a little baby's head in the movie. Far out. I had chills listening to that. This is a, this is a dirty little freaking movie. Yeah. This is a grubster. <laughs> It's like a video nasty come to life once again. I can't believe this movie. God, I hope this is like the movie cinematic universe's version of like the Mad Hatter or something. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. He's got a fun hat on as well. He's pretty cool. After this scene plays out, Gordon, he's, he's walking. He's got the kid in his arm. He's walking through the police. He's a bit of a hero now. Yeah. And he actually hands his service revolver to someone as he walks past. And he says, he's not going to need any. Oh, he's found a purpose now. Yeah. He's not going to be. He's not, he's going to have to find a new favorite activity. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Maybe he'll take up kickboxing or something. But yeah, he hands his revolver away and he says, "I'm not going to need it." So we know that he's yeah. made a decision. He's going to look after people now, individuals. Exactly. Yeah, he's on a diet. No more revolvers for lunch. <laughs> I couldn't possibly. <laughs> yeah. So during this scene, I explained that we were intercutting. So this was yeah. intercutting with Bruce oh, with holding Bruce, his box yeah. and he's watching this on the news. He's getting quite inspired by Gordon seeing this hero cop out there changing the city for the better and uh, he picks up the wooden box and he throws it against the wall he tears himself away from the TV and he digs through the exploded wooden box and he reveals his father's heavy silver signet ring it's balled up in an old newspaper and it bears the intertwined initials T and W yeah that's uh, that's your Thomas Wayne that's uh, your Thomas Wayne now yeah. interestingly 
This shows up in the Batman, yeah, in the form of cufflinks. Because he um, and he says and he says yeah. to Alfred, he goes, "Where'd you get?" And he goes, "Your your dad gave them to me." Exactly. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the the intertwined TW ring seemed to be repurposed into the Batman as the cufflinks. Cufflinks. Yep. Though it it plays a bigger role in this movie than it does in the uh, in the Batman. So Bruce decides he's going to clean up the streets, but to do it, he has to find Selena first and make her pay for whatever happened to Detective Campbell. And he he writes another letter to his father. October 4th. Father, the trail begins with the pimp. He's only a guppy swimming in the cesspool, but he knows where she is. I must find her. She used me to kill that man, and murder is not allowed. And so it begins. I will not let you down. Your loving son, Bruce. I'm getting a bit of um, Rorschach. a Rorschach vibe. I was just about to say, I'm getting a bit of a Rorschach vibe. Like, yeah. this city is a cesspool. Yeah. Yeah, Guppy swimming in the cesspool yeah, 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 is a yeah. very Rorschach-style yeah. thing. Which is funny because Rorschach is supposed to be the very worst of people that don't see grey. They only see black, black and, and white. white yeah. and, and how bad that can become. And Bruce is pretty much teetering on Rorschach territory yeah. here. Bruce has decided, though, he's going to go see the pimp. He's going to find Selena. He's going to start cleaning up the streets. Yeah. He puts on a, a big overcoat and a wide-brimmed concealing hat. And he, he holds uh, up a fist and you, you can see his, his father's ring on his hand. Bruce, he questions Chi-Chi. And Chi-Chi, at this point, he's sporting four big finger scratches down his face. From uh, someone we, we may or may not know. Yeah, some cat. And he asks her about Selena's whereabouts. Chi-Chi says he doesn't know where she is, but he's going to kill her. He makes a move for Bruce, but Bruce very swiftly just breaks his leg. <laughs> it just says that, does it? <laughs> yes. So we now cut to uh, what we is like an early day Batman montage. In fact, Batman even puts oh. on a fake scar on his cheek to say, like, if I have a distracting wound, people will throw people off the center. They'll be looking for a guy with a big scar. Again, an element taken from the comic books. But we see a, mon- a montage of Bruce on a one-man crusade on crime. I like to think his wide brim hat is like Carmen San Diego style. <laughs> <laughs> Big Zorro hat yeah, yeah, running yeah. around. Well, exactly. Uh, he's, he's on a one-man crusade against crime. And he's beating up crims left and right. And his father's signet ring, it crushes flesh against bone, leaving a deep, bloody mark every time he does. This is an ultra-violent thing we're seeing. He's breaking limbs. So he's almost well this is sort of if you if you want to look at I'm, I'm gonna hit the bell <laughs> here. Yeah. Because if you think about um, Ben Affleck, he does the old he mm-hmm. like sees the little Batman symbol into people, so it's very similar to Hold that thought. Oh, okay, so we're sorry. gonna go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, at one point he's he's smashing people's head against brick walls. Like he's really like giving it to his yeah. dreams. And through it all, Bruce he's also getting beaten really bad. He's getting very, very injured. But despite all this Bruce finally sleeps, sound oh. and restful. He's not getting the nightmares. Like a baby anymore. with a gun in its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we see a badly beaten Bruce and he, he's like, he's not in a good way at this point. And he's, he's writing another letter to his father. And it even describes that he's got a black eye that's almost swollen shut. Tonight I learned that I am nothing more than a lucky amateur. Climb the ladder of crime, I will need protection, weapons, technique. I need to cultivate an advantage if I'm to take my war up the ladder of crime to the bosses, to the generals. But what should that advantage be, Father? How will I find it? The loving son, Bruce. 
So we see now how he's yeah. starting to evolve into this idea of the Batman. He says he needs gear, he needs protection, he needs weapons, he needs an advantage. Yeah, big time. And he's got no, but he's got no cash. He's got no cash. He's got no cash to buy any of these he's things. He's going to be a frugal Batman. So we now cut back to Gordon, and he's actually now meeting with the mayor, a guy called Mayor Noon. And Mayor Noon has a big gilded wooded panel office, and he's decided, you know, the commissioner of the police is corrupt. Every cop's corrupt. I'm going to go to the mayor and see what the mayor can do. So he's meeting with him about that. Please, come in, come in. I hear you have some disturbing news regarding the East End Precinct, Detective Gordon. Yes, sir. I'm afraid so. Well, first, just let me say how impressed I am that you came in. You know, I know it's hard in these situations, and I know it can be frustrating, and I want you to know that I admire your bravery and integrity. Okay, we need more men like you on the force. Thank you, sir. I'm not trying to be a hero or anything. It's just that, well... Well, things are out of control. <laughs> of course, I understand. Have a seat, have a seat. Now, tell me everything. It's not the normal procedure. Why bypass internal affairs? I believe the problem goes beyond the East End Precinct. Far higher. I've seen the money. Been offered bribes. Almost forced to take them. Huh. Okay. I see. I can name names. I'm willing to testify. I believe my current... Notoriety with the news media makes this the perfect time to bring this matter to the public. If we hold a press conference... <laughs> slow down, Jim. I'm afraid it's not quite as simple as that. Now, we have to be absolutely careful how we present our case. Now, now, who have you told about what you know? Who knows that you've contacted me? No one. I mean, besides my wife. I don't know what sort of repercussions I'd face if they knew I was here. Okay, good, good. The fewer people that know, the better. Now, you may be in some serious danger if these corrupt officers knew that we were working together. <sighs> okay, what do you want me to do? Well, for now, I'll see what I can do on my end. I want you to lay low, act normal. I'll contact you when it's time to make our move. But sir, there has to be something I can do to help us prepare for our case. At least I can document what I see. Do nothing to jeopardize your safety, Gordon. Okay? Keep clear of the officers involved. You know, let them think it's business as usual in Gotham while, uh, you know, we work up a plan. <sighs> okay. You'll see. We'll get these guys. How do we feel about Man Noon? Do we trust him? He's corrupt. <laughs> 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 yeah, this. Uh, I mean, I don't even. Uh, I'm at the moment. I'm at the point in the movie where I'm trying to figure out. Who is the villain? Like, is Man yeah. Noon going to be the big bad? Yep. Is he going to be some kind of, like, uh, allegorical for a famous Batman villain from the comic books? Or what kind of direction we're heading in? How far are we straying away from 
what we know to be like a comic book hero movie. I think anyone that says the lines um, like, who knows yeah, that you're yeah. talking to me, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a red flag. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty big red flag. Yeah, he there. may as well go like, who do I have to kill after yeah, this yeah, meeting yeah, to get exactly. away with whatever I'm up to? <laughs> exactly. Just even when Gordon mentions his wife, you're like, oh, God. Yeah, you God, mate. Rookie mistake. Come on, dude. Yeah, my wife and my strongest friend with a thousand guns. So <laughs> that's who knows that I'm here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're now going to cut back to Bruce. Now, important to note, in in the comic book Batman Year One, it starts with Bruce re-entering the country after a 12-year absence, and he's been Mm. off training Mm. because that's how he gets his Batman skills. This Batman doesn't have the funds, and there's many different ways in the comics that Batman has kind of acquired his skills. Sometimes it's training with Ra's al Ghul in the League of Shadows, and sometimes he's done it himself. How do you suspect this Batman will acquire all the skills and knowledge required to be Batman? Rocky montage. That's all I can imagine. Rocky montage. Some freaking loose eggs in a cup. I think in working out. You think uh, workout thinking, montage. Yeah, yeah yep. I'm thinking. I'm thinking montage as well. But I'm thinking he's in the mechanic shop. So he's he's lifting up engines. Oh, and he's, yeah. like, he's throwing yeah. tires around that's and stuff good. like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Rocky four montage. Yeah, that's there yeah, we go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all shall be revealed with the next location. We cut now to the Gotham Public Library. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> because what is the most dangerous muscle? Bruce the mind. brings yeah, a huge exactly. pile of books. The books include understanding ballistics, explosives <laughs> step-by-step, guerrilla warfare, thrown oh weapons handbook, Lord. 101 no. sucker punches. No. Wait, did you say thrown weapons handbook? Was thrown one of weapons handbook. <laughs> My God, chapter one, throw the book and see what happens. <laughs> So he doesn't go and train with ninjas. He no. goes to the library. And it even says that the, li- the librarian's giving him kind of weird looks because he's checking out all these God. weird books. Yeah. I'm imagining the librarian's freaking Raz al Ghul. Just like <laughs> little tiny glasses, about that little weird little beard thing that he's got going on. We also see Bruce, he's shopping. He's buying ammo belts, hunting knives, combat boots, binoculars. Uh, Bruce holds up a heavy like helmet device with wires sticking out the top. Uh, we see him buying spray paint, saw, tin snips, razors, duct tape. So he's he's obviously preparing. Bruce, the Holt- guy's on a list somewhere with this freaking. No, yeah, shot. I know. There's some red flags. That's, as soon as there's reports of the Batman, they'll be like, "Well, it's him." Yeah. But yeah. He checked out all these books from the library. He went and bought all that weird equipment. <laughs> so Bruce holds up a white field hockey mask, and he's kind of glaring at it. It's like a goalie's mask, and he's got padded gloves and shin guards and a bright red catches chest protector and we hear him again writing to his father November 15th dear father I'm ready for the next level I realize now violence alone is not enough I must become a detective a scientist a scholar of crime I will need tools to give me an edge I will no longer rely on strength alone father I can feel myself transforming so this is, I guess, Mark One of Batman. He's still got like colorful pads and stuff on, but you see him starting to build. He's got his chest protector. He's got a helmet on. He's got gloves and gauntlets. See, on everyone's there. got to start somewhere. So I think it's a bit disingenuous when the Christian Bale Batman says, "I'm not wearing hockey pads," <laughs> because that <laughs> yeah. is exactly what he started out wearing. He is, in fact, wearing hockey pads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yes, I'm so glad that you picked up on yeah. <laughs> So we cut back to Gordon, and despite Man Noon's advice, he's still collecting evidence about corruption in Gotham. 
and everyone in the police station, they know about it. So we cut to the Gotham Justice Building garage, underground garage at night. And Gordon, he's putting the key in the door to his car when suddenly he hears a sound. It's a baseball bat. Not a cricket bat. <laughs> okay. A baseball oh, bat. Wow. Dragging across the Two distinct floor. noises that we've got in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. And we know That's... the difference immediately. So, yeah, there's a baseball bat dragging across the concrete floor. Gordon pivots. There's more baseball bats approaching from every direction. We see shadowy figures surrounding Gordon. So it's not a Little League team. No, it's anything. not a Little League team. <laughs> yeah. The bad news bears. <laughs> a baseball bat slams into Gordon's side. You know the orders, dudes. Just enough to keep him out of the hospital. We see silhouettes of dozens of cops swinging their baseball bats at a helpless Gordon. And he doesn't have a chance against them. Okay, so we see Bruce. He's now continuing his one-man assault on crime. He's, he's now got all his equipment. And as he does, we see news coverage of his work. They're starting to pick up on this mysterious Batman. They talk of a vigilante trying to scare the underworld of Gotham. They haven't referred to him as Batman yet, though. Well, evidently, his father's signet ring leaves a mark on its victims. <gasps> As the T and the W overlap, it resembles a crude outline of a bat. Thank you. There you go. Okay. And because All the right. T and W, the, the W is a bit winged on the side and the yeah. T in the middle, it, it looks like a bat whenever he punches people. So they start calling him. The Batman. the Batman. That see, that's what man. Ben Affleck's branding. You see, it's it's all connected now, mate. It's see, good. Bruce, he's looking at his father's signet ring as the news is covering this, and he he's he's sewing himself back up because he's obviously still being beaten, and he, he takes the needle and he picks out a bit of human flesh from the signet ring. Oh god! Oh my god! And the 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 TV shows a scared mugger in the Gotham's prison hospital. Bruce smiles wide, and we see. All these front teeth are missing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> they've, been, they've been beaten out of him. God, this is a dirty little movie. Yeah. This, this is, is so gross. <laughs> Bruce cuts the hockey mask in half and he spray paints it black along with the ammo belt and everything. So he's starting to nail it. Yeah, black looks good. Yeah, what's playing the shadows kind of thing. Yeah, he likes it. He paints a pair of steel dentures white and he puts them in his mouth. And he welds a familiar oh. primitive bat logo into a pair of brass knuckles. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he, right. he tries them on over a pair of heavy leather gloves and he's got razor blades fitted into the sides of the glove. Ew. And for the last time in this first episode, we hear him write to his father. December 6th. Dear father, it's all coming together. I can feel it. I have everything I need. All the pieces are falling into place. Everything is changed. I am reborn. I will show them no mercy. Father, you will have your revenge. In this life or the next. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have come to the end of part one of our cancelled movie report on Darren Aronofsky and Frank Miller's Batman Year One. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we would love it if you would subscribe, be it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. That really does help us get discovered in the charts. It would also be terrific if you could leave us a five-star rating or, you know what, most importantly of all, just tell a friend. We're completely independent here at Cancelled Movie Report, so your support really does mean the world to us. Alexi, 
can we tempt you to come back next week? I mean, he's he's turned into Batman. You need to know how this ends, right? Yeah, I'm on the freaking edge of my seat right now. <laughs> i got to find out about Toothless Batman. This <laughs> is... I'm freaking all in on this now. Well, if people uh, if people like the, like the cut of your jib, where can they find you? Oh, definitely check out the Finding Drago and Finding Desperado podcast that Cam and I, uh, Cameron James and I work on, which is like investigative documentary podcast. If you like the sound of this, you'll like that. And did we miss anything? We would love to hear from you. You can always get in touch with us at cancelledmovies at gmail.com or at cancelledmovies on all of the socials. And maybe there's a cancelled movie report project you've always wanted to hear about. Well, why not let us know? You can fill out the form in the episode notes, alerting us to a project, and we may just give it the cancelled movie report treatment. Also, if you do love the show and you want to support us, do check out our newly launched Patreon. There's a whole extra bonus podcast in there, and the link to that is in the episode notes. We would love to thank our amazing voice cast, including Cameron Logston as Batman and Ben Wagner as Detective Gordon, as well as the rest of the incredible cast, all of which you'll find listed in the episode notes. I'm Michael Campbell. I've hosted and edited this episode. And Eden Porter over there, he was my co-host too. Thank you very much. And we both produced the show. Make sure you're listening next week to find out how this all ends. But if you can't wait, here's a sneak peek. I've read the files you sent over. They describe a man who inhabits a delusional world of great danger and violence. Danger, violence, sounds about right for the East End. Ah, but this mind inhabits a world more horrible than the East End. Now normally this kind of delusion represents the terminal stage of a suicidal psychosis. He's trying to kill himself. But until then, take care. <laughs>